Exodus chapter 36, please. Exodus chapter 36, look at verse 1 if you will. Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man, in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding, to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that the Lord had commanded. Go back to uh, chapter 35. It's good to be able to teach. It's also good to be able to teach others. You never know enough. You are always growing. And from 35, 34, and he has put in his heart that he may teach both he and a holy ab, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan. So like I say, if you are a teacher, you are always learning. Even teachers go on refresher courses. A friend of our ministry is in the medical profession. And every year or so, she goes for a refresher course. Nothing wrong with that, of course. If you are a teacher, if you are a Bible teacher, you should be able to be taught. You should be willing to allow others to teach you, to correct you, to further educate you. And every Sunday, as I prepare for the reading from the book of Exodus, or any book for that matter, it could be the book of Acts, it could be Second Corinthians, it could be the book of Revelation. By the grace of God, I've done four or five books over the past four or five years. I look at the reference Bibles. I want to see what the greats have said before me. If you think of composers like Mozart, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, Wagner, Strauss, Handel, Bach, all those guys, they all listen to each other's music. They all take a feeling or they sample what's gone before them to see if they can improve on their work. Nothing wrong with that, of course. Then wrought, 36.1, Bezalel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man, in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that the Lord had commanded. So you are anointed, you are blessed, you are filled with the Holy Ghost, some more than others, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, and also Romans chapter 12, lay out the case how we're not all the same. Some of us can do wonderful things, like uh, David Livingston, for example, would go to Africa, would have an awful time over there, would be shunned by many people in Britain, was seen as a clown, was seen as something of an eccentric, and yet he was a, uh, a surgeon, a very bright, brilliant man, a congregationalist by denomination, and he went out to Africa. His heart was buried in Africa physically, but his body was transported 1,000 miles across Africa and put on a boat back to Britain. And he was buried in Westminster Abbey. That took faith. That took real faith. Most people couldn't go probably two or three weeks without friends and family. A lot of his family friends never saw him for weeks, months, sometimes years on end. If you want to really study the greats, look at the church, look at church history. Never mind people today. Most people today aren't worth tuppence. Go back 100, 200, 300 years. Curtis Hudson, David Livingston, David Brainard, Patton, all those missionaries that travelled the world did great things. My point is this, they were all uh, gifted. They were all anointed, some more than others. So don't compare yourself to anyone else. That's the mistake that many of us make. We compare ourselves with others. By all means, check what others have said, written, printed, preached. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But don't compare yourself with anyone else. If you are a brother in the Lord, don't compare yourself with another brother in the Lord. If you are a sister in the Lord, don't compare yourself with another sister in the Lord. It's pointless, it's worthless. 36.2, and Moses called Belizeol and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even every one whose heart stirred him up, to come 
unto the work to do it. His heart stirred him up. I like that. They say my heart convicted me. They say my heart got the better of me. They say my heart skipped a beat when I saw her or when she saw him. For the most part, our hearts are no good. And yet this is a mystery. This is a paradox. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even every one whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. Free will, once again. This goes against Calvinism. Calvinists deny free will. They make a lot out of man not having free will. They believe in irresistible grace. They believe that God flicks the switch, makes you alive. And once he flicks the switch, you are alive. They believe you will persevere until the end of your life. And if you don't persevere until the end of your life, you're not one of the elect. Or the Armenian says, if you don't persevere until the end of your life, you have lost your salvation. Both are uh, problematical beliefs, flawed from the uh, minds of man. But again, free will, verse 1 and 2. Heart stirred them up to come unto the work to do it. Keep on working. Never give up. If you are sick, keep on going. If you don't feel well, keep on going. Don't allow headaches or fevers or blocked ears or sore throats or even more serious illnesses to hold you back. I guarantee you there'll be people around the world today who are in far worse state than you are. I was sent an article maybe two or three days ago as a concern in the church in China, in Wuhan. Christians in Wuhan are really going through it at the moment. And these brave Christians are going around the streets trying to get the gospel out. Can you imagine it? Wuhan is shut down. A brother sent me some figures a few days ago and he suggests that around 250,000 people have died in China concerning the coronavirus. 250,000. But the official figure as of right now is what, 800? Yeah. It's kid stuff. It's far higher than that. Yeah. But those Christians are putting on their masks, gloves, heading onto the streets in Wuhan to get the gospel out. Some of those people are going to die, obviously. They're going to contract the coronavirus or other viruses and they'll hit the judgment seats and they'll be rewarded left, right and centre. Look at verse 3. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. Withal, Old English, for together with or at the same time. So give until you give. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Keep your hand there and go to First Chronicles chapter 29. I was asked a few days ago from a Korean uh, friend of the ministry about tithing. And this Korean friend of the ministry has found a good King James church and is very happy there. And I'm happy that they are happy there. Uh, not all churches are bad, of course. Don't get us wrong. And I was asked by this Korean friend of the family, or friend of the ministry, and yes, friend of the family, First Chronicles 29, 1 Chronicles 29, what to do about tithing. And I guess they are having the squeeze put on them. And because they are in a King James uh, church in a foreign country, I guess the pressure has been put on this friend of the ministry to give. And I got back to this friend of the ministry saying that the tithe per se isn't for today. And I spent many a year trying to explain this to people. Yes, it's true that when Abraham met Melchizedek after the slaughter of the kings, he gave Melchizedek a tenth. But of course, that was like a love offering. There's no church, there's no temple, there's no tabernacle. And it says while he gave uh, Melchizedek a tenth of the spoil, Jacob was in his loins. And I've heard many preachers run over to Hebrews, try and cross-reference that to 
put the squeeze on you to make you give. And I'll discuss that this morning. First Chronicles 29, First Chronicles 29, look at verse 6, if you will. Then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly, willingly. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because you want to. Don't feel compelled to give. If you can give, you should give. When I first got saved, I found three or four ministries and I watched and listened to those ministries and I got a lot out of those ministries and I gave money to those ministries. I wasn't compelled to. I wasn't made uh, to feel bad if I didn't, but I gave because I wanted to give. And here they offered willingly, willingly. Look at seven. And gave for the service of the house of God, of gold, 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams and of silver, 10,000 talents and of brass, 18,000 talents and 100,000 talents of iron. And they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jael, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because of perfect heart Complete heart, not sinner's perfection. Complete. They were united. They offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. So I sat down yesterday to look at these figures from verse 7 and 8. And do you realize that you've got 112 tons of gold? You've got 260 tons of silver? Estimated to be worth by today's money billions of dollars. Billions of pounds. Billions of euros. Incredible. Look at 10. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. In the context, the preparation for the temple, not tabernacle. Solomon would build the temple. The tabernacle was given to Moses to build. But down the line, and we are what, 1000 BC, around this time, the Jews are getting ready to build the temple. Of course, second, uh, first and second chronicles is a repeat, a reiteration of first and second kings. So my dates are slightly out. Uh, let's see now, first kings eight from memory is the cross reference to this piece of scripture. First kings eight uh, around nine hundred BC. So not too far out. So we'll leave it around nine hundred BC. But they're coming together. They are giving money to the priests, the prophets. The potentates, being David and co, to prepare for the temple. They gave and they gave and didn't they give. Look at verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. It all belongs to him anyway. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Go back to Exodus 36. So when it came to the temple, which, as you all know, was one of the seven wonders of the world, it was spectacular. The amount they gave was astronomical. Even by today's standards, it blows me away when I think about the Jews. Just ordinary people. Not rich, wealthy people. Just ordinary Jews. Low incomes. Just ordinary people. They gave and they gave. And didn't they give? 36.4 And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary... Came every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord, which the Lord, which the Lord commanded to make. We've got too much. It's coming out of our ears. We've got so much 
that has been given to us. And yet, if you think of ministries in general, if you think of Christians or churches in general, for the most part, you have a tiny minority who always give the most. And I made the case probably three or four years ago when I went through Second Corinthians 8 and 9, how, I, how I'd listened to three sermons from three different denominations. One was a Presbyterian, one was a Baptist, one was Independent. And they all said the same thing, how the minority in their church gave the most. The majority just took but never gave. The majority just cruised along and got a blessing and didn't get a blessing for many of these ministries, but never gave. But for the Old Testament, they were all giving, all giving, not 10% tithe. And I got back to our Korean friend and I said, no, tithing per se isn't for today. If you want to give, you can give. Don't feel pressured to give. And be also mindful of this, that 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you read it carefully, deals with poor Christians, people who are in great poverty. And that's why it was necessary for, in the context, wealthier Gentiles to give to the poor Jews. Because the Jews, according to Second Thessalonians, were being persecuted by unsaved Jews. 36.6 And Moses gave commandments, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Can you imagine that today? Most people today, most Christians today, going back to what I said a few moments ago, are tight, stingy, frugal. Don't give very much. They expect a lot from you, but give very little back in response. And I'll give you some figures shortly. That, uh, that'll turn your blood cold, make your hair stand and end. It's just shocking how people have their priorities all back to front. 36.7. For the stuff they had was sufficient for the work to make it and too much stuff. We use that word all the time. Get your stuff packed. Get your stuff out of here. Your stuff's in the way, so on and so forth. But of course the context is tabernacle. The context is sanctuary. It is a mystery. And I've spent nearly over two years now. What am I saying? I've spent over two years now working through the book of Exodus. I still barely understand this book. It is a mystery to me. About half an hour ago, I was looking at the back. We've got one of the strongest storms since 2013. Incredibly strong winds and heavy rain. And I got a load of trees at the back. And I was watching maybe three or four birds perched on the branches. Not a care in the world. And these strong winds, like 40, 45, 50 miles an hour, coming out of nowhere... People are there walking down the streets. We'll be blown over. Patrick almost was coming here this morning. And yet these birds, cordless cucumber, able to perch on the branches. I mean, that's a miracle. No Darwinist can explain that to you. Just watching these birds, just breezing left, right and centre. Incredible. I don't understand that. Do you understand that? How do you explain that? How do you explain these birds that fly four or 5,000 miles every year to lay their eggs, to mate? And they go back to the same branch on the same tree every year. I mean, how do you explain that? How do you explain that they know where they are going? How do you explain that they know what to do and how to do what they do? I mean, how do you explain these things if you're not a creationist? If you're a Darwinist, you say, well, it's just by chance. Come on. That's not by chance. Are you deluded? 36, 8. And every wise-hearted man among them that wrought the work of the tabernacle made ten curtains of fine twinned linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work made he them. We spent several weeks going through chapter 26. And again, this is a reiteration from previous chapters. They were told to build the tabernacle, uh, chapter 26. Now they are going to physically build it. Two gentlemen, a gentleman, 
Bezalel and Aholiab are the two leaders, skilled craftsmen. They're going to teach others how to do what they do. If you are a father, you should pass down your skills to your sons. If you are a father, you should pass down your skills to your grandsons, grandchildren. If you are a mother or a grandmother, you should, pass, you should pass down your skills to your daughters and their daughters. It's been said many times over the years that in recent years, most children haven't been passed or haven't been shown skills from yesteryear. Most girls today can't sew. Most girls today struggle to cook. Most girls today struggle to do what their grandmothers or great-grandmothers did. They've lost something. Most uh, boys today can't repair a car, put a car radio in, or change a car battery, do an oil change. But their fathers could do it, their grandfathers could do it, but they couldn't do it. So you've got every wise-hearted man, verse 8, wrought the work of the tabernacle. You've got ten curtains of fine twinned linen, blue, purple, and scarlet. And we looked at the typology of that a few years ago, or a few, excuse me, a few weeks ago. It feels like a few years ago, but a few weeks ago. With cherubims of cunning work, like something specialist, something uh, extraordinary. Work made he them. The length of one curtain was twenty and eight cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits. The curtains were all of one size. So again, you've got uh, twenty-eight cubits, which is forty-two feet. The breadth, meaning the width, is four cubits, which is six feet. The curtains were all of one size. One is one of the key words that you will find in chapter 36. And I spent the last two or three days reading through this piece of scripture, trying to work out how to preach it, how to teach it, how to cross-reference it with the New Testament. Incredibly difficult. One size, uh, verse 9. One tabernacle, verse 13. One size, verse 14. One, verse 18. Standing up, verse 20. One Lord, one faith, one church, one baptism. One in the Lord, one in Christ. John 17, I have prayed to the Father that you will all be one in the Lord, one in Christ. But this is a mystery when it comes to me. The curtains were all of one size. They have to be the same size. They'll be wrapped and then wrapped again to preserve the tabernacle. Because again, the tabernacle is the Lord's home. And he coupled the five curtains one unto another. And the other five curtains he coupled one unto another. He doubled them up. And he made loops of blue on the edge of one curtain from the selvage and the coupling. Likewise, he made in the uttermost side of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Selvage, Old English for from the end of it. And again, coupling, doubling, a curtain within a curtain. Uh, verse 12, 50 loops made he in one curtain. And 50 loops made he in the edge of the curtain, which was in the coupling of the second the loops held one curtain to another, and he made fifty tatches of gold, and coupled the curtains one unto another with the tatches, so it became one tabernacle. Tatches, we would say today, like an attachment, it takes hold of the object. One tabernacle, thirteen, one size, verse nine, one, one, one. One church, like I say, one baptism, uh, one Lord, one faith, one crucifixion, one resurrection, one ascension one rapture one second coming one is the key when it comes to trying to understand the mystery of the tabernacle go to acts chapter 15 i've only got maybe two or three new testament passages to help us to further understand what we are reading about this morning uh, the tabernacle is probably the greatest mystery in scripture 
I was looking at a reference Bible this morning, and the author said basically that even he didn't really understand the tabernacle per se. The temple is easier to comprehend, uh, but the tabernacle is a mystery, and I will say that it's also a mystery to me. If you were to ask me what is the hardest book in the New Testaments, I would say Second Corinthians. Uh, but for the Old Testaments, these chapters are a mystery to me, an absolute mystery. Acts chapter 15, let's see if we can get a bit more uh, material and try and understand this a little clearer. Acts 15, Acts 15, look at verse 16. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So David is connected to the tabernacle, and we looked at that from First Chronicles 29. And yet David wasn't connected with the tabernacle. He was connected with the temple. He would prepare the uh, building of the temple, but it would be down to Solomon, son of David, to build the, tem uh, the temple. The Lord Jesus Christ is the son of David, and also son of Solomon. Solomon built a physical temple. The Lord Jesus Christ is the temple of the Holy Ghost. One more time. After this I will return. Second Advents. And will build again the tabernacle of David. Could be the third temple. Revelation chapter 11. And also you have the references to this over in uh, Ezekiel. 44, 45, 46, 47 and 48. David which has fallen down. Partly picturing 70 AD when the temple went down. And here the temple is used synonymously with tabernacle. Tabernacle, temple, temple, tabernacle. And yet they're not the same thing. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up. So third temple in type. But for Acts 15. This is in reference to the body of Christ. The church. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord. That's the whole purpose of this. And all the Gentiles. Not just Jews. Upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Go to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. So it is a mystery that the Lord would want to have fellowship with people like us. Would want to allow us into his home. Uh, I guess it's like this. Would you let anybody into your home? Anytime? Of course you wouldn't. You would be very selective who enters into your home. And of course you would. And at least... Uh, and because it is your home, you can kick people out if you should so wish. But the Lord, once you invite somebody in, doesn't kick them out. And aren't we thankful for that? Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 13. Yea, I think it meets. I think it right. As long as I am in this tabernacle. This is Peter speaking. To stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle. Even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Peter is about to die. And we are what? 66 AD? Around 66 AD? And he sees himself as the tabernacle. Not the tabernacle, but my tabernacle. In verse 13. And also verse 14. Go back to Exodus 36. And he sees himself as a tabernacle, like I say. A type of the tabernacle. David is called. Or oh, he's connected also with the, tab the tabernacle. But again, this is in type. By the time of David's writing, the tabernacle was incorporated into the temple. By the time of Peter's writing, the uh, temple was less than four years away from being destroyed. But it's still a part of their thinking. Fascinating. 36, 
six, ten. And he coupled the five curtains one unto another. And the other five curtains he coupled one unto another. And he made loops of blue on the edge of one curtain from the selvage and the coupling. Likewise he made in the uttermost side of another curtain. In the coupling of the second. Fifty loops made he in one curtain. And fifty loops made he in the edge of the curtain which was in the coupling of the second. The loops held one curtain to another. A bit like the body of Christ or the members of our bodies. First Corinthians 15. If one of us suffers we all suffer. If one of us rejoices we all rejoice. Hasn't that been uh, your experience over the years? We get people emailing us all over the world. We get nice feedback. We get some sad feedback. People say I'm very blessed today. A, B and C has come my way. Or X, Y and Z has come my way. Praise the Lord for that. Others say I'm not happy at the moment. I've got problems with this or problems with that. And we start to rejoice. And then we start to mourn with such people. But there's a connection you see. But the, pur- uh, the uh, purpose of verse 13 is how it will become one tabernacle. One in Christ. In fact, keep your hand there and go to John 17. I misquoted that slightly uh, from John 17. This gets quoted by ecumenicalists. And when I first got saved, I went to a uh, a creation meeting in Liverpool. And uh, a guy was giving a meeting on creation. Interesting meeting. And uh, one of the guys that was selling DVDs... uh, named his ministry John 17 something uh, see if I can find the verse here and it was interesting uh, if I give you verse 11 and now I am no more in the world but these are in the world and I come to thee holy father keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are go back to Exodus and I got talking to this person and I said listen we are one in Christ through the resurrection and he says, no, 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 we've got to come together. We've got to be one, like a body, as a people. And I thought, no, that's what the Catholics teach. We are one in Christ. We are already in the Beloved. We are already in the third heavens. And yet these people cannot understand it. They think we have to all come together, be all hanging around as one group of people. We'll all put on a united front. Those that are born again are already united. And John 17 makes that case clearly. Thirty-six fourteen, And he made curtains of goat's hair for the tents over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains he made them. The length of one curtain was thirty cubits, and four cubits was the breadth of one curtain. The eleven curtains were of one size. Thirty cubits, forty-five feet, four cubits, uh, six feet. The breadth of width of one curtain. The eleven curtains were of one size. They're going to match up. And he coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And he made fifty loops upon the uttermost edge of the curtain in the coupling. And fifty loops made he upon the edge of the curtain which coupleth the second. Coupling, coupled, means twinned, like a double. And he made fifty tatches of brass to couple the tent together that it might be one. I have prayed that you may be one. How the world will see that I sent you, John 17. That's the whole purpose of this. And again, tatches, verse 18, like an attachment. Something which holds item A and item B together. 36.19 And he made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red, and a covering of badger skins above that. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This is a bloody book. Literally, people died for this book. And I gave you a few names at the beginning of this message. It could be Livingston. It could be Brainard. It could be Patton. It could be Kerry. 
It could be Hudson, it could be some of the greatest missionaries that have ever lived, had real faith to go far and wide, travel land and sea to witness to the heathen, the peasants. And of course, many of those guys arrived in Africa, for example, or China, Hebrides, Pennsylvania, east coast of America, had an awful time. I think David Brainard's ministry was practically zero when it came to results. And yet when he died, or as he was getting ready to die, not even 30 years of age, people started to turn to the Lord. Incredible. But it all goes back to blood. Without shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. Life is in the blood. 36.20 And he made boards for the tabernacle of sheet and wood, standing up, picture of the cross. Not a tree per se, not a stake, like the Jehovah's Witnesses would have you believe, but a cross pointing up four points. Going back to south, 23, north, 25, west, 27, and chapter 38, 13, east. Four points, if you will, to the Lord's cross. We'd say northeast, southwest. Also, these dimensions fit New Jerusalem, which we looked at many weeks ago from uh, Revelation 21, 22. But let's not get too bogged down in the types let's try and stay on track for this piece of scripture uh, 36 21 the length of the board was 10 cubits and the breadth of a board one cubits and a half so 10 cubits 15 feet and one and a half cubits 2.25 feet 22 one board had two tenons equally distant one from another Thus did he make for the boards of the tabernacle. Tenons, tenon meaning hand pins, hand pins. Nails, basically. You've got to tie this thing down, you've got to nail it down. In the Middle East, they have uh, storms, they have uh, severe storms. What we have today is kid stuff, based on what you have in the Middle East, in the Sahara Desert, or outside of the Promised Land. Even inside Canaan, Israel proper, they would have awful storms. You would bake in the summer, freeze in the winter. It was imperative to nail this thing down. But again, the tabernacle is the Lord's home. The temple is the Lord's home. Those of us which are saved, we are in Christ, the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a living organism. It's living, it's breathing. If I suffer, you suffer, right? If you suffer, I suffer, right? If you rejoice, I rejoice, right? If I rejoice, you rejoice, right? That's how it should be. Maybe two nights ago, I was online and I came across news how... Somebody had passed away, not somebody I was particularly interested in. In fact, two people passed away, funnily enough. One passed away in November last year, a controversial Christian character who was anti-Semitic, so he wasn't one of my favourite people, but he was pre-millennial, and he had some good stuff against the Freemasons, the Illuminati, and other secret societies. Put out some very powerful DVDs. Died last year, 75. I didn't rejoice over that. And then about two weeks ago, another guy died, a charismatic Gnostic, a very uh, unpleasant character to the Word of God, wasn't the Bible, or the Bible wasn't the Word of God. And uh, when he said that, he went against Scripture. In fact, keep your hand and go to Second Corinthians, make that Second Thessalonians. There's a quick footnote, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And I got news that his, this guy died a few nights ago. And I thought to myself, yes, I remember him, a very dangerous character. And I was reading some of the comments. People are almost in tears over this guy's death. He was a Gnostic. He was a Gnostic. And he would say how the Bible wasn't the word of God. And yet, look at Second uh, Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Going back to my points. Pray for us, care for us, support us, stand with us. Pray for us 
that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. The aniseed is on the word of God. The word of God can be glorified. And yet Jesus Christ has spoken about as being glorified. And Jesus Christ would glorify his Father. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord, Scripture, may have free course. It's like a person, isn't it? But it's not, but it is, but it's not, but it is. And be glorified, even as it is with you. Go back to the book of Exodus. So two guys died in the last two or three months. I wasn't aware of it until two or three, uh, two or three nights ago. And I was reading some of the comments, like I say, people are hurting. People are sad. People are grieved. That's natural. That's natural. These guys may have been saved. I don't know. But the outward emotion of many people would suggest that they had quite a following. But 36, 20 got the cross, the cross of Christ. Uh, 21, the length of a board was 10 cubits and the breadth of a board, one cubit and a half. One board had two tenons, equally distant, one from another. Thus did he make for the boards of the tabernacle. Tenons, like I say, going back to hand pins. And 23, and he made boards for the tabernacle. 20 boards for the south side southward. Again, the dimensions, the uh, points are very interesting. You've got uh, south side, 23, like I say. North side, 25. West side, 27. And 38, 13. East side. And 40 sockets of silver he made under the 20 boards. Two sockets under one board for his two tenons. And two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the other side of the tabernacle, which is toward the north corner, he made 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. And for the sides of the tabernacle westward, he made six boards. And two boards made he for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides. And they were coupled beneath and coupled together at the head thereof. To one ring. One, 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 one. One ring. Thus he did to both of them in both the corners. And there were eight boards and their sockets were sixteen sockets of silver. Under every board two sockets. Going back to the wisdom, the skillful work of Bezalel and Aholiab. 36.1. Going back to their helpers from 35.34. If you think of a good ministry or good preaching or good preachers, I guarantee you there are always people that stand behind such people. I couldn't do what I do without people supporting me. A few nights ago, one of our friends phoned up, uh, gave me a call, good friend of the ministry, and I was speaking to him for maybe 25 minutes. We were talking about future projects, future plans. And uh, I said to him, praise the Lord, brother. You are a great brother. What you do for us is uh, remarkable. We salute you. And we had a quick chat, this brother and I. And I said to him, I couldn't do what I do without your support. And he said, vice versa. And it's true. I mean, any ministry, any church, any fellowship, any organization which is worth its weight in gold couldn't do anything without the help of other people. So this chapter is about giving. This chapter is about having uh, something to show for yourself to the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, First Chronicles 29 made the case how the children of Israel incredibly would produce 112 tons of gold 260 tons of silver i mean it's astronomical it's incredible most missionaries die in absolute poverty your real christians like uh, the early church especially died in poverty and yet i was looking at some figures earlier on this morning 
And in 2007, the top three basketball players in America were paid 35 million, 33.7 million, 30.8 million a year. And yet your social justice warriors won't say much about that, will they? The top golfer was paid 119, excuse me, 111.9 That's probably uh, Woods, I would imagine. $111.9 million. The top two actors were paid $92 million, that's Johnny Depp, and $74 million, Tom Hanks. Wow. I mean, how do these guys live with themselves? And Tom Hanks apparently made a professional faith in Christ when he was 16 at a campfire. As far as the musicians are concerned, the Beatles brought in $130 million. The Rolling Stones, $121 million. And Michael Jackson would bring in $67 million. The Beatles haven't been together since 1972. Mm. Two of their four members are now dead. And yet the money's raking in. Yeah. $130 million. The Stones still working. $121 million. Michael Jackson, who's been dead since, what, 2009. He's bringing in $67 million. In 1984, Michael Jackson's recording thriller would win seven Grammys. The most given to a single recording artist in one year. It sold 25 million copies. Almost out of time, actually. I'll hold it there, and I'll read some more of this next week, because this will lead into how the church isn't giving as it should give. And there's a reason why I'm reading uh, these figures uh, for today's Lord's Day service. So we are looking at Exodus chapter 36, concerning the tabernacle, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the incense altar, the anointing oil, the bronze altar, the bronze basin, the courtyard, the ephod, the breastplate, the robe, the tunic, the turban, the sash, the gold plate. And some of these features, I do believe, will return during the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews are obeying God right to the letter. They are obeying him totally to the letter. If you love me, keep my commandments. A quick correction also from last week. I gave a figure of around 250,000 deaths in China. I was corrected after the service. It was 25,000 deaths. But it's possible by the end of this year that it could reach 250,000 deaths. Absolutely horrendous. Mm. Exodus chapter 36. Exodus chapter 36. Look at verse 30. And there were eight boards and their sockets were 16 sockets of silver. Under every board, two sockets, and he made bars of sheet and wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle of the sides westward, northeast, southwest, and I gave the dimensions last week. Keep your hand there and go to Song of Solomon. There's no doubt about it that the book of Exodus, like chapters 26 right up until chapter 40, are mysterious chapters, difficult to read, exegete and explain. But if you go to Song of Solomon, chapter 1, I want to, if I can, build on the badger's skins, goat's hair and ram's skins. Song of Solomon, after Ecclesiastes, of course. Chapter 1, look at verse 5. I am black, I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem. As the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Comely, Old English for handsome, graceful, or decent, suitable. Paul speaks about a woman who doesn't cover her hair in 1 Corinthians. And he says, is it not comely that she should cover her hair? So on and so forth. Tents of Kedar, Arab tents made of black, 
goat's hair. So here, Solomon's wife, one of his wives, one of his lovers, is referred to as being black. A picture of us before we got saved. We were stained with sin. And I hope we all agree on that point. There are some who don't believe in original sin. There are some Christians who don't believe that we are born bad and have to be made good. There are some people who think we choose to do bad. But basically we are good. That we are born good but decide to be bad. That is Islamic. It's not biblical. I am black. One five. In the context, Solomon's wife in type of the church, but comely. We are spotless, bride, wrinkle-free, without spots or tarnish, denoting our standing in Christ, not states. I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the tents of Kedar, pitch of the tabernacle, as the curtains of Solomon. Solomon, son of David, Jesus Christ, son of David. Go back to the book of Exodus. So just a quick cross-reference to give you from uh, Exodus 36. There aren't many to give. And like I said last Sunday, it's very difficult to read these verses and try and apply them in a practical sense to anybody living today. You've got at least three applications when it comes to the word of God. Doctrine, historical, prophetical. And of course spiritual. But when it comes to Exodus 36... We can't teach this doctrinally as being relevant for today. 36.31 And he made bars of sheet and wood. Five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle. And five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle. And five bars for the boards of the tabernacle for the sides westward. Four points, like I say. Four points to the cross. North, south, east, west. Revelation chapter 7. The four corners of the earth. And he made the middle bar to shoot through the boards from the end to the other. Another great reference to the cross. And he made the middle bar to shoot through, to pass through the boards from the one end to the other. This tabernacle will be carried. The Levites will carry it around on one occasion. It was moved from A to B and a gentleman got to carry it away, put his hands on the tabernacle. And died. And King David was in despair. What can be done he said. This is a holy tabernacle. We represent a holy God. And it stayed with a particular character. For a particular period of time. And it says how the house was greatly blessed. During the tabernacle stay. With such a person. The tabernacle one more time. Is God's home. If you are saved you are already in God's home. Ephesians chapter 1. You are already in the heavenly places. Your name is already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You are already saved. You've had your burial with him. You are baptized into him. And one day, if the rapture doesn't come, you will die. You will be buried. And once the rapture does come, your body will be resurrected to be joined to your spirit, which is with the Lord, and your soul, which is with the Lord. And your body, soul, and spirit will be put back together again. And you'll be forever perfect living in a sinless body but for now we are far from that as of right now we are living in a fallen world in a fallen state and again look at china look what's going on over there Twenty-five thousand fatalities the world's media seem to be very quiet about this mm. not wanting to be seen to be racist and yet i got a comment an hour or so ago on one of my videos attacking me for being ignorant about the slave trade 
And it went along the lines of this. Well, the white man stole the black man, so on and so forth. It's that same old chestnut. And we're living in an age of morons, basically. Morons, biblical illiterates. If you've been born the last 35, 40, 45, 50 years, you've probably learnt nothing at school. Last night, a woman killed herself, a famous TV presenter. I knew of her. I never watched any of her programmes, of course, but she's a well-known TV presenter. And last night, I was briefly on Twitter, and it went crazy. People were tweeting about this woman's death, and you would have thought some great humanitarian had just passed away. You would have thought somebody who fixed world poverty had just passed away. You would have thought somebody who'd been able to alleviate sufferings had come up with a cure for the coronavirus had just passed away. Not at all. A very selfish woman lived in a mansion in London. An hour or so ago, I got a comment to one of my videos, like I say, criticising me uh, for how the white man stole the black man from Africa. And I had to correct this ignorant person. I said, no, get your facts straight. You had wealthy black people stealing poor black people and then selling those poor black people to rich Arabs who then sold those poor black people to rich white people. Get your facts straight. Had to correct such a statement. A lot of anti-white bashing going on at the moment, but nobody cares about that. And this woman who passed away last night, 40 years of age, not particularly old, turns out she killed herself, suicide, murdered herself, basically. And I woke up this morning, caught the news, and it's like some great head of state has passed away. But I remember her five or six years ago. She seduced a 16-year-old boy and got away with it. And yet had a man of her age seduced a 16-year-old girl, his career would have been over. She was 34, 35 at the time, old enough to be his mother. And she got away with seducing this 16-year-old boy. And yet to the man, same age, seduced a girl, same age, his career would be over. Let me say this very briefly. If you are a white, working-class boy, you have nobody speaking up for you in this country. Do you know that? If you are a white, working-class boy, you are more likely to kill yourself than any other demographic, any other race, uh, sexuality, so on and so forth. People kill themselves, incidentally, not because of what people say about them, but because of how they feel about themselves. She killed herself because she couldn't live with herself. She couldn't live with herself because she was loaded down with sin. But who wants to talk about that? Nobody, of course. So we are living in a very dark day, a lot of ignorance, a lot of superstition. This past week, a brave, a brave Chinese doctor succumbed to the coronavirus, a Christian, left a wife and child behind. The wife is eight months pregnant. She's got the coronavirus. This is big news all over China, incidentally. But in this country, who cares about a Christian doctor? Nobody cares about a Christian doctor. Nobody cares about a Christian doctor who was trying to help his own people and yet contrast that brave man who's in heaven today, crowns left, right and centre, contrast him to that sport, uh, self-entertaining TV presenter, earning six, seven figures, living in a mansion in central London, done nothing for anyone apart from herself, and you see that the world loved their own. Absolutely crazy. Exodus 36, 34. And he overlaid the boards with gold, and made their rings of gold to be, to be places for the bars, and overlaid the bars with gold. So, Exodus 36, 1 Chronicles 29 when the Lord's people were asked to give, they really gave. Somebody once said, give until it hurts. And they really did give. They really did give one more time. And he overlaid the boards with gold. You can't improve on gold. And he made their rings of gold to be places for the bars. And overlaid the bars with gold. 
The tabernacle will last right up until Nebuchadnezzar. And when Nebuchadnezzar confiscated the booty from the temple and took kings, princes and VIPs back to Iraq and enslaved them, it has been suggested by some how the Lord raptured the tabernacle. Revelation says how the tabernacle is in heaven right now. It's priceless. It's like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is priceless. If you could find a strand of his hair, a strand of his uh, eyebrows or bit of a fingernail, any bit of his clothing, anything that could be traced back to him, it's all over. Our faith is all over. Because we need our Lord to be in heaven interceding for, for us. All other uh, religious groups haven't got that problem. All other religious groups have no qualms with their religious people being dead and buried in the ground. And he made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twinned linen. With cherubims made he it, made he it of cunning work. Cherubim can be spoken of in the singular like magi. And cherubim can be spoken of in the, in the plural like cherubims. And when we get to 37, 38 we will look at the cherubim in more detail. The veil of blue from 35 is also mentioned over in Hebrews chapter 10 denoting on the one hand the Lord's body and on the other hand the universe. This is a mysterious piece of scripture. And he made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twinned linen. With cherubims made he it of cunning work, cunning specialist, expertise. Again you got Saholiab and you got Bezalel, two gentlemen, tribe of Dan, tribe of Judah, building the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle. In some ways, delegating to others, training up others. And like I said last week, if you can, pass your skills down to your sons, your daughters, your granddaughters, your grandsons. Today's generation are clueless. Today's generation have no idea about history, don't study history. Today's generation are hooked on television, the internet, gaming, Xbox. They have no idea about history. They have no idea about what took place 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years ago, back in the early 1990s, there had been uh, an incident in South London. And from memory, a conversation took place between a man who was about 70 at the time and somebody who was around 40 at the time. And he said, uh, what took place last night? You know, what's the story about the riot in London? And he said, uh, oh, it was to do with such and such an event. And he said, uh, we haven't seen that much uh, disruption since the war. Mm. And the guy said, which war? <laughs> which war? The Brixton War? Yeah. The South African War? Uh, the Civil War in America? Which war? World War Two. Again, people think they know what they are talking about. They don't know what they're talking about for the most part. The white man sold the black man. The white man stole the black man. No, he didn't. Get your facts straight. White middle class boys are underrepresented are doing poorly at school, are struggling, are more likely to kill themselves than anybody else. And yet who cares about white, working-class boys? That TV star last night who killed herself, 40 years of age, wakes up in hell. She probably taught that evolution was correct. She probably thought there isn't a God, there's no such thing as absolutes, that morals are subjective. Made a fortune in a day. And all the people online this morning, in the papers, on television, what a wonderful woman she was. Just a TV star. Just a personality with a low IQ but she was prettyish, had the gift of the gab and yet contrast her death her legacy with that Chinese doctor mm. who's left a woman a wife 
eight months pregnant in China, in Wuhan. Nobody in this country is lamenting his loss. Who cares about a Christian doctor? And yet this woman did nothing for anybody, lived for herself. You would have thought she was like Louis Pasteur, perhaps. You would have thought she had done wonderful things for civilization, but she didn't. The whole point is that people love their own, and the Christian is shunned. The Christian has no friends, has no support. A true Christian is alone in the world, but not without God, of course. 36, 36. And he made thereunto four pillars of sheet and wood, and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold, and he cast for them four sockets of silver. Again, can I use the crude analogy of a travelling circus? They go from town to town. They have to erect the circus. They have to erect the tent, tents. They have to nail the thing down. It has to be safe and secure. The Jews would travel for 40 years. It would be imperative to tie the tabernacle down. Again, tabernacle, ark, table, lampstand, incense, altar, anointing oil, bronze altar, bronze basin, courtyard, ephod, breastplate, robe, tunic, turban, sash, gold plate. It's the Lord's home. It's the Lord's home, open to sinners. Contrast that to the rich and wealthy. What do they give back to society? Do they give anything to society? Do they offer anything to society? No, not at all. And last week, I gave you some figures. I want to finish reading those figures this morning. It just shows you we live in a two-dimensional world. The Lord's people are far and few and between. And again, from 2007, the top three American basketball players were paid 35 million, 33.7 million, 30.8 million. No inquiry about that. People expect that to be so. Two actors are paid 92 million. 74 million. The Beatles are still bringing in 130 million a year. The Rolling Stones, 121 million a year. Michael Jackson, 67 million a year. Bill Gates made 58 billion. Paul Allen made 16 billion. Steve Ballmer made 15 billion. Larry Ellison, 26 billion. These guys could create their own island, their own haven, invite people to fly there, live there. And would release some of the pressure on society. But of course they don't want to spend their own money. But they'll spend your money. Mm. A Bugs Bunny stamp sold for $45 million. $45,300,000. Bugs Bunny. Is this a joke? Is this a joke? No, it's not a joke. This is a fact. Titanic made $600 million. Star Wars made $461 million. Jurassic Park made $357 million. Forrest Gump, $329 million. The Lion King, $312 million. Batman, $42 million. Batman and Robin, $42 million. Batman Returns, $98 million. Batman Forever, $52 million. Incredible. The figures continue to just go crazy. Uh, Robert Tilton made $24 million in 2007. John Kilpatrick, Steve Hill... Uh, Lyndall Cooley and Michael Brown received $6 million in five years. That's $12,000 a week. Kilpatrick bought a $3 million home. Excuse me, $3 million home. Jerry Falwell would make $80 million that year. Arlen Horton, $70 million that year. Pat Robertson, $20 million. Benny Hinn, Benny Sin, Benny Hinn, $60 million. 
Joe Olstein, 55 million. The Catholic Church is the largest church on the face of the earth, worth billions of dollars, but here is the interesting figure. Christians in America spent 700 million towards the foreign mission field. 700 million. Contrast that to 40 billion on recreation, 336 billion on cars, 58 billion on liquor, 110 billion on houses, 110 billion on food. Only 1% is given to foreign missions. And yet America still gives the most, of course, so don't misunderstand me. But that gives you an idea why the Lord says how the love of money is the roots of all evil. Contrast that to what the Jews would give to the building of the temple. 112 tons of gold, 260 tons of silver. By today's money, that's billions of dollars, pounds and euros. It's incredible. And yet Paul speaks about the church, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, giving. He said they gave out of deep poverty and many a time they would go without food themselves. When was the last time you went without a meal? When was the last time you went without a meal? When was the last time you said, I can't afford to eat today. I'm going to give money to the mission field. I'm not going to spoil myself. I'm going to give X amount to the mission field. That's what the Lord wants. A cheerful giver. Somebody who gives and gives until he gives. Exodus 36, 37. And he made an hanging for the tabernacle door of blue. And purple and scarlet and fine twinned linen of needlework, and the five pillars of it with their hooks, and he overlaid their capitals and their fillets with gold, but their five sockets were of brass. The hanging in verse thirty seven is a screen of some kind. Up until this point in time you couldn't just approach the Lord. You had to go via the priest system, via the tabernacle, via the temple. You may have the exception like Enoch uh, back in Genesis or Perhaps Elijah, uh, First Kings, and perhaps Melchizedek, Genesis, and a few others. But post Exodus chapter 20, you're under law. And basically from Exodus 20 right up until Matthew 27, you're under the law. You have to approach Jehovah via the animal sacrificial system. So the hanging from verse uh, 37 pictures a screen. Uh, also, you've got this term uh, capita, which is an upper part or capital of a column. The tenons, again, are hand pins. The selvage means from the end of it, and fillets means a little band to tie around. So 38 verses, looking at the final uh, assembling of the tabernacle. They were told to do this back in... 28 and now they are obeying God to the letter if you love me keep my commandments the tabernacle will be the uh, grand treasure for the Jews right up until the temple and again once Nebuchadnezzar arrived to destroy the temple it has been suggested by some how the Lord stepped in and raptured the tabernacle he will step in and rapture us before the Antichrist arrives Nebuchadnezzar type of Antichrist our bodies Acts 15 Second Peter chapter 1, our bodies are a picture of the tabernacle. So again, the tabernacle was raptured before Nebuchadnezzar arrived. And we will be raptured before the Antichrist arrives. And I wanted to give you those figures and finish what we looked at last week just to show you the contrasting views. On the one hand, the church in America especially give, what, 700 million a year? That's in America. I bet in this country it's probably a fraction of that. 
and yet the average American will spend $654 billion. Holidays, cars, homes, overeating perhaps, enjoying this, enjoying that, contrast that to what's going on in China today, North Korea, Africa. We should be ashamed of ourselves. We really should be ashamed of ourselves. We are spoilt in the West. I saw a documentary maybe 10 or 12 years ago, and it was very interesting. It was a Christian documentary, and this guy was speaking about poverty in second world countries, third world countries, and he was almost in tears as he was telling the story. And he said they've got nothing over there. They're eating rats, bats, uh, wild animals, snakes, uh, worms, grass. Really horrific, he said. And he came back to America and he said, I found myself in a supermarket and I spent 15 minutes trying to decide which uh, ice cream to buy and breakfast cereal and what biscuits to buy, what crisps or, as Americans say, fries should I buy. And I couldn't believe how selfish and self-centered I was. And he was right to say that. He was right to say that. We are so blessed. Our generation, the 21st century Christian, is so blessed. Turn of the last century, the average age of a man was 42. The average age of a woman was 39. Today, the average, uh, the average age of a man is 72. And the average age of a woman is 84. And these people are living for longer, but they're still lost. Go back one more time to what took place last night. Breaking news. Such and such has been found dead in her London mansion. This morning, such and such killed herself. What's going on? She had a six, seven figure salary. Was on all these top TV shows. People thought the world of her. And it go back four or five years, she seduced a 16 year old boy. And got away with it. Why? Because she was a woman. Had it been a man, 34, 35, seducing a 16-year-old girl, and I will keep saying this, he would have been fired and his career would have been ruined. One rule for the women, another rule for the men. And again, one last time, if you are a white, working-class boy, there's no power base, there's no support network for you. You are incredibly vulnerable. You are missing out. You are underachieving. Contrast that to middle-class Asian boys, middle-class Asian girls. Even black children in America are now doing better than white children in America. How about that? In the last 10 or 15 years, black people in America are making more money than white people. And you don't hear much about that, do you? And the reason for that is because of the help they've had. The money, the inputs, the, uh, what do they call that, positive discrimination, affirmative action. That's what they call it, affirmative action. In this country, they call it positive discrimination, helping the black man up, the black woman, the Asian man, the Asian woman. But who's helping up the white man? Who's helping up the white girl? We go back to the grooming gangs that were all over the country 10, 15 years ago. 95% were white, working-class girls. But don't get me started. So 38 verses from Exodus chapter 36. Giving, give until you give. Uh, Second Corinthians, like I say, is a good place to go to cross-reference the giving. Uh, we don't give enough. I don't give enough. I'm sure you, that you don't give enough. And one day we will arrive at the judgment seat of Christ and have to answer for our actions. Song of Solomon was a great place to go to. Chapter 1, verse 5. Comely, handsome, graceful. A picture of the tabernacle for the New Testament. Comely, meaning decent, suitable. Denoting a good godly woman. The tents of Kedar, 
Again, our Arab tents made of black goat's hair. Same as what the tabernacle was made of. Solomon's wife, she's black. She's pictured as a sinful woman. And we are black when we came to the Lord, but we are washed white. We get imputation and we are declared sinless and spotless. And uh, next week we'll, uh, we will return, Lord willing. And we've got four more chapters to go. Four more chapters. And I'm going to suggest ten more weeks to go. And then we will have finished the book of Exodus.